Welcome to episode 85 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a literary agent and a publishing contracts expert. And I'm your co-host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and erstwhile editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. Today, we are going to be talking about organization and goal setting and basically just covering like a whole year's worth of recommendations and things like that in our absence, because we're back! We're back! We're finally back! <laughs> a little bit later than we intended, but it's still January, gosh darn it's it. It's still so. January. <laughs> We made it. We made it. Yeah, we're so, so excited to be back. We've done a couple mini-sodes for you guys, and we did, um, for our Patreon subscribers, we did our first pages uh, live critique, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. But uh, we're really excited to be back to you at a regular basis. We are going to be bi-weekly now, the meaning that every other week. Every other week. Bi-weekly. <laughs> Yeah, it's what? It's semi-monthly and bi-weekly, right? Yes, yeah. Gonna do every other week, basically. Um, So that we can be sustainable and not burn out on you guys again. So we're back. We're back to stay. We're so excited. Yeah, we kind of have a backlog of things that we would like to discuss, not just in terms of, you know, recommendations and the things that we've been doing and consuming, but also just topics that we wanted to discuss. I've been jotting down some questions we've gotten, but also some thoughts that I've had based on the year of, of, of and also doing this now for a couple of years being an author. And I'm sure Kelly's got thoughts as well on the agenting side. So we have kind of a, a backlog of various different topics that we'd like to cover. Um, and also, uh, we do have a Patreon, which we've talked about before on the podcast, and we do have a suggestion box for our, some of our patrons there. So if you do have something very specific you would like us to cover, definitely drop us a line there. Um, but yeah, so because it is the new year, we decided that we were going to start with goal setting, planning, organization because that was a big thing for both Kelly and I. I mean, we spent like 20 minutes just before we hit record just talking about <laughs> it in general, how we were organizing our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's actually start with goal setting. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of like a broad thing. It's not just career goal setting. It's kind of writing career, um, but also artistic Uh, or, you know, like personal craft type goals, um, you know, and other sort of external milestones. I think they're sort of different things. There's like personal goals and external milestones. Yes. And sometimes they're related and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're dependent on each other. But let's just talk about goals in general. How would you... Because I don't like to make resolutions because I never keep them. <laughs> and then True. I basically just beat myself up all the time about like not sticking to any of my resolutions. Um, but I like the idea of having goals much more. And it gives me something to work towards. So how mm-hmm. would you define goals in terms of writing and publishing? Yeah. So I think the first thing that you want to think about really, and something that I've been giving a lot of thought about as I've set my own goal, my own goals for agenting this year, um, is that you want to set goals that are 
achievable. It has to be, you know, and, and, and by achievable, I don't just mean like within the realm of possibility, but I mean something that if you exert the time and effort that you have a reasonable likelihood of meeting that goal. So good goals are things like, I am going to finish the first draft of my book and, you know, goals that you have less control over are things that I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Why can't I talk? It's like, wow, I haven't podcasted in a year and my ability to speak into a microphone has gone out the window. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to set your goals. You, Uh, to be things that like you don't have any control over, like being a number one times New York bestseller, which is still something that you can reach for and try to like achieve. But I think that you want to keep your goals more concrete. Am I making sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I don't know if you, if some of you guys either follow me on Twitter or Instagram or read my newsletter, but you guys have probably known that I've really, really gotten into bullet journaling this year. Um, and one of the things I did at the beginning of this year was just make a list of goals. Now I didn't, I differentiated them on one side were achievable goals, um, small achievable goals. So I included things like write a short story write a personal essay and shop that around to other venues. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are achievable goals that I can definitely do uh, for my own career that have to do with my own craft. I also have other goals that are not quite so immediate. Things like drafting two books this year. Um, You know, those, you know, those are concrete things that would, I would like to accomplish by the end of 2019. And then on the other side, I actually had a, list of I didn't call them goals I actually just called them wishes yeah like aspirations things aspirations yeah are hoping for and working toward um and I think it's great to speak those things and to give Mm -hmm. voice to them because I think there is power in that um but I do think it's it's different than goal setting so I see why when you were making your journal it was kind of a separate list Yeah. So the things that were on my sort of aspirational side were like number of copies sold Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just more sort of like, these are things that I can affect to some degree, but cannot control the total outcome, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So those are things that I'm kind of putting out into the world that I, as sort of like, you know, like, I don't know if you guys did this, but in uh, middle school, my friends and I used to make like collages, mm-hmm. which are basically more or less like nowadays, I think people would call them like inspiration boards or whatever. Yeah. Vision boards, Pinterest. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I don't use Pinterest as any sort of vision no, board. No, I don't I either. basically just repin Dragon Age fan art. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of like this vision that I have of where I want my career to go. So I know what I'm working toward, Mm -hmm. but you know, these, that's not something concrete, like a goal that I have, like to write a short story or to write a personal essay or to pitch certain articles to various venues. Cause I really would like to expand beyond what I know already how to do, which is write novels. I really bad at short stories. (laughs) Like I'm just really bad. I actually really love a really good short story, but I think it takes different skills to write a good short story. Um, so I really wanted to work on that. 
And, you know, and I, I also actually like the art of the personal essay. That is something that I've always enjoyed doing. And I thought it would be interesting and I would like to possibly get that published in other sorts of periodicals to kind of expand, you know, my, my skills and mm-hmm. my readership and my base, any, something like that. So I think that for me is the difference between a goal and an aspiration. Yeah. When I think of aspirations, the person who always comes to mind is, of course, Octavia Butler, who used to write these notes and journals to herself. And she kind of is um, coined the phrase like, so be it, see to it. And she would write all these things. Octavia Butler. Did I say her name wrong? Uh, I I don't know. You kind of cut out. I couldn't quite hear you. Oh, (laughs) Yes, I, Octavia yeah. Butler. I wrote it in my journal as well. It's mm-hmm. so be it, see to it. And her list of aspirations, I believe they all came true. Came true, yeah. And I love that idea because it is, you know, kind of having that in mind of what you're working toward and what is the outcome that you hope to have. Um, and so I think that is really great. I also think that sometimes we get really caught up in the aspirational side of things and we mm-hmm. don't. Um, we don't talk about the more concrete goals so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been interesting for me because this year in my agenting, I've really focused on concrete goals, um, actionable things that I can be doing to get me to, to get me a step closer to those more aspirational places where I'd like to be. And it's, you know, I think there's all different kinds of ways of doing it. You know, JJ just talked about how she has her bullet journal that kind of she uses to keep track of all of that stuff. And I have a spreadsheet (laughs) that I uh, use to keep track of things. And actually, um, everything that I initially learned about spreadsheets, I learned from JJ years ago (laughs) when we were roommates. And um, I was having a crisis about being a broke 20 something. And I was like, I need you to help me budget my money. And she set up a little spreadsheet for me that I actually used for years. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, my spreadsheet skills have only grown, uh, but I am nothing compared to my husband. And I actually sat down with him on New Year's Day and I was like, look, I have all these goals for my business and I have all these aspirations for my business and the kind of agent that I want to be and the sort of things that I want to achieve. And I have all of these ideas and I have no idea how to translate all these ideas into something concrete and tangible that I can track and interact with. I was like, so I'm going to talk at you and you're going to make me a spreadsheet based (laughs) on based on everything that I say. Um, and he did, and it's amazing, but the amazing thing about it isn't necessarily all the formulas or all the, you know, fancy stuff that it does. It is that it breaks down larger things into concrete tasks that I can do, you know, like I can, I can contact X number of editors a week. I can read X number of queries. I can read X number of manuscripts. I can, I can break down all the processes and all the pieces of my job into concrete things. Because I think especially when you are essentially working for yourself, you know, a lot of Agents are like independent contractors, more or less. Um, And even if you're writing, whether you're writing full time or you're writing on your own, you don't have a boss. You don't have somebody that you have to report into. You don't have someone who's necessarily looking over your shoulder being like, did you do X, Y, Z? And it's easy sometimes, at least for me, um, to lose sight of 
the bigger picture of things. You know, maybe I'm really killing it at reading manuscripts, but I'm letting queries slide or vice versa. And, you know, I think having a place, whether it's a bullet journal, whether it's a spreadsheet, whether it's, you know, whatever your tracking mechanism is to kind of look at everything at once and say, am I doing all the things that I can possibly do to get me where I want to go? I've found it even in these short weeks that I've been using it to be incredibly helpful. Yeah, I really started to seriously use my bullet journal to track various things. Incredibly helpful as well. I mean, I spent the last couple part, like couple of months of 2018, really getting back into using a bullet journal. Um, And for a while, I've been trying to do all sorts of different things because I actually journal, like actually journal. Like I will journal by hand. And a lot of these are sort of just stream of consciousness thoughts, not just about my personal life, but also about my stories. Sometimes it's a way of talking myself through a lot of story problems and things like that. I had that and then I had like a separate journal that I was using as like a planner slash whatever. And I hated carrying around multiple journals. I just, I wanted everything in one place. So I think I finally figured out a system, but I have to say it didn't, it didn't happen overnight, right? I Mm -hmm. was working on this. I was developing the system that worked for me because that won't necessarily work for everybody else. And the other thing, the thing that I had been reluctant to do, but now I do see the benefit of is taking the time to plan out and goal set. So it helps keep me accountable and on track. If I have a game plan for the day, for the week, for the month, I can see if I'm on track based on what I'd already planned out for myself. And at first I didn't want to do this because I felt like it was a waste of time, even though it isn't, because I thought, okay, that time could have been spent doing something else or doing other mm-hmm. author things or doing or writing or whatever. And honestly, that wasn't particularly helpful for me. And so like taking the time I, and I do this and I was telling Kelly every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is I get coffee and I journal mm-hmm. and journaling is not just about story or whatever. Although often it is, it's literally opening up my bullet journal, making my spread for the day. And my Mm -hmm. spread for the day literally has a schedule where I write down, okay, from this time to this time, I'll be doing this. From this time to this time, I'll be doing this. From this time to this time, I'll be doing this. And and then like kind of a to-do list that I kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, like the things that I know I need to do that day. And I just kind of make that first and then kind of build a schedule around that. Um, And I didn't used to do that. Or rather, I actually did used to do that when I was in school. (laughs) And, um, I was also very organized when I was in school that I no longer seem to have that ability, but it isn't that it's, I think I just got lazy or Mm -hmm. that I resented such a structured life uh, imposed upon me that I was like, yeah, I'm an adult now. I can do whatever I want. I can eat cookies for breakfast. Who cares? Like, um, but then I realized that there is a benefit to having that structure to my day. And even though I feel at first, I thought I felt like I was, this was time that I that could have been better spent elsewhere. It actually made me more efficient with the time I had allotted myself. Because mm-hmm. it's if I have eight hours to write a chapter, I will I will fill all eight hours, <laughs> and it won't. And and by the end, I may or may not have an actual chapter. Whereas now, if I was like, here's four hours that I've blocked off in my day to write, with a break in the middle. 
I actually get a comparable amount of work done in four hours that I did in mm-hmm. eight hours because yeah. I know that there is a start and end and therefore it helps me stay focused. So mm-hmm. that, that really helped me. And I, and I think we need to like, not we need to, but I think we can discuss how we break down our goals, our actionable goals into smaller increments that keep us accountable. So when, yeah. when David made your spreadsheet, uh, how did he break it down? Yeah. So my spreadsheet goes through the whole year and I've got a section for each month and then it's also divided by quarter. So I have quarterly goals I and then in order, <laughs> in order to meet my quarterly goals, there's things that ha- need to happen each month or each week, you know, or vice versa. And the way that it worked for me, um, was to think about, okay, what's the end, like, what's the major thing that I want to accomplish? And so like one of mine was building my client list. I want to build my client list this year. I didn't sign anyone new last year. So that's something important that I want to do. So I said, okay, how many clients do I want to sign per quarter? Mm -hmm. So I thought about that number and I don't have my spreadsheet in front of me and I'm not going to divulge my individual numbers anyway, but so I'll just say 10. Let's say I'm going to assign 10 clients a quarter, which is crazy and not what I'm going to do. Wow, that is a lot. But 10 is easy to work with in terms of like numbers. Yeah, it's round. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to add 40 new clients this year. That would be too many clients. (laughs) So it's not going to happen. But let's say I want to do 10 a quarter. So I've got three months to sign 10 clients. If I want to sign 10 people, I need to read like at least 45 manuscripts, if not 50, because I'm not going to sign every single manuscript that I read. So it's not enough to request just 10 manuscripts and hope that I get lucky. I need to request a lot of manuscripts in order to get 10 people that I'm willing to offer on. And probably I'm going to want to offer on twice that because last year I made 10 offers and zero people signed with me. So I'm probably going to want to make at least 20 offers in a quarter to hope that half of those 20 will sign. Mm -hmm. So I get the 10. So now... (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to read 50 manuscripts, hope that 20 are interesting enough for me to make an offer on, which is a really huge percentage that's very skewed and not at all accurate. And now my numbers are out of control, but I'm rolling with it. (laughs) (laughs) I should have said like three, but I went with 10. So we're going with it. I've got to request 50, probably should really be like 75 manuscripts requested to get to, you know, 20 offers that I'm going to make. And only half of those 10 are going to say yes to get 75 manuscripts that I want to read, I'm going to have to read like 500 queries or more. No, thousands. My ratios are so off. I'm going to have to read so many queries (laughs) to find those manuscripts that I want to read. So it's like, I start with the number of clients I want to, I want to sign. That's my end goal. But then I have to look back and like, what does it take to get to that end number? It's not as easy as just finding 10 people. There's a lot more work that's involved. So now I'm looking at how many queries do I need to read a day? How many manuscripts do I need to request a week? How many offers do I need to make a month? And that sort of starts to inform what I'm doing. And in all that too, I'm looking at my current cycle. So right now all three of my clients are on submission. So I have a lot of time to edit. So I can take on new clients who might need more editorial work than I would otherwise take on because I have that resource, you know, but maybe later on when I'm working with my clients more hands-on, I don't have time to work with new clients editorially right then. So I've got to find things that are more polished, like 
by having all of that laid out in front of me and seeing exactly how many queries I need to read to request how many manuscripts to make how many offers to sign how many clients, that is the type of thinking that has really put things into perspective for me this year. Whereas last year, I was just thinking like, I want to sign some new clients this year, but not thinking about how that happened. Yeah, I think sometimes we are afraid of putting numbers onto our actionable goals. And I don't think that's always, you know, it's kind of, it's finding the fine line, knowing, setting a goal that is flexible enough but also concrete enough that you can take concrete steps to achieve it. Um, for example, for books, I, for a while, kind of did it by word count, um, which ultimately in the end doesn't actually work for me. I write long, for one. Um, and secondly, I realize, you know, if I'm, you know, Scrivener is useful for a number of things. If you are setting a, a word count, you can actually calculate. It will calculate for you based on the days that you want to write, when the deadline is, how many words you would have to write in each session to hit that deadline. So it is useful as like a very quick way to break things down. But for me, I realize I actually write in scenes. I don't actually write it to a word count. Granted, most of my scenes tend to be about 2,500 words long. Um, so I know that like average length of my scene, so I can roughly calculate a word count, but it, it is more useful for me to think of a scene. And also as opposed to having a daily word count, because one thing I did learn last year in 2018 is I cannot write every day. I used to be able to, um, but I don't know if it's a function of the fact that I am old now or because it's different books require different things. I could, I just simply cannot write every day or I cannot revise or work every day. So, you know, I, I changed this around and sort of set a weekly goal rather than a daily goal. By the end of the week, I would like to have these things done. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little bit easier actually when I'm revising because I know, okay, I need to revise this scene today and then this scene today when I'm drafting, it's kind of, blah, I'm a pantser, so eh, whatever. And that, when I am drafting, it is actually far more useful for me to have a, to have like a weekly word count goal. Um, but yeah, I, that, that's kind of what I mean by wanting, needing something flexible yet concrete enough, you know? And so if I look at the week and the week, end of the week is coming up and I'm short of my goal, or short of the things that I need to do, then I, I know I have to shuffle things around a little bit to, to see if I can't get it. Of course, I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't meet that specific goal. Um, obviously things come up and, you know, so we can't always be so strict about it, but I can kind of make adjustments. And if I'm ahead of my goal, that's great. You know, I Mm -hmm. can take that time to relax Honestly, I think that is something both Kelly and I discovered is that, my God, we need time to relax, to recover. Otherwise, we're not productive. Um, There was an article by Anne Helen Peterson. I love her. I do, too. I actually love her. I started reading her stuff when she wrote her celebrity stuff. Her celebrity stuff. (laughs) If you guys have not read Anne Helen Peterson's celebrity stuff, I highly recommend it. Um she she wrote a book that I also that I think I actually talked about on this podcast, like the scandals of old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. She writes incredibly well, but she actually wrote a piece about burnout. Um, 
And I read it and I was like, oh, I now I understand because the state of burnout that people are in is that you're constantly working when you kind of have nothing left to give when you're not when you're basically running on fumes, but you're still running because you have to. Um, and that was one of my goals for 2019, actually, was this was an actionable goal, which is to recover from burnout. Mm-hmm. And the only real way to recover from burnout is to allow yourself to rest. Yeah. And I was not going to let myself feel guilty about falling behind. It's harder, you know, it's hard It's hard to do, right, than to say. But I was, I, so one of the things I did was I said, after 8 o'clock, I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I am able to do this because I am a full-time writer now, and I understand that people who have day jobs won't necessarily be able to do this. When I was working full-time in addition to writing, I certainly couldn't. So I, I, I completely understand, and I honestly, now that I look back on it, think that possibly working full-time and trying to draft a book at the same time did contribute a lot to to a years-long burnout. It yeah. was a years-long burnout. I t- had to take almost all of 2018 to slowly start to recover um, but part of that for 2019 was basically like, it's, you know, it's like when you injure a muscle when you're working out and you're healed again and, but, you know, they advise you not to go too hard because you'll just end up re-injuring yourself. That's the thing that I'm trying to do with burnout. I am feeling much better, but I was like, I can't run myself to the ground again. I have to let myself recover. So for me, I said after 8 p.m., I'm not working. This means I do not check email. This means I do not, you know, I, I don't write. I The only things that I will do after 8 p.m. is let my brain shut off mm-hmm. and relax. And not necessarily in bed, although sometimes I'll be in bed because I'm old and I go to bed early now. But, like, that it that's that was me. <laughs> I think Kelly, Kelly sort of agrees with me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been really working on my sleep hygiene lately. <laughs> I've had, so I've had mild insomnia ever since I was pregnant with my daughter five years ago. And it's just kind of gotten worse and worse and worse and worse until um, my insomnia in 2018 was so bad that I just, I truly was not sleeping and I was exhausted, but I could not sleep. And a lot of that was stress induced. And I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life and with family illnesses and all kinds of things, um, happening. And so it was just one of those years. Uh, but insomnia for me was one of the biggest, um, tangible, like burnout Mm -hmm. things. It's the way the burnout manifested in my life was through insomnia. And so I've been, um, doing my best to craft good sleep hygiene. And so I have a whole bedtime routine now. I don't look at my phone after a certain period. Um, I have like a special tea that I drink that helps me sleep. I take a CBD capsule. I have a weighted blanket. I have this like whole routine I go into that starts like about two hours before I plan to actually go to sleep. Um, but but that also means like no working during that time. No, you know, like I read a book or, you know, other things. And that has been super helpful. I still do have difficulty sleeping sometimes, but compared to what it was this time last year, it's amazing improvement. Um, so that's someplace that I'm really trying to focus on things. And yeah, I, it was a bad 
2018 was a bad burnout year. And I feel like it was hard because 2017 was like such a year of grief um, Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. the election, right? Like there was so much grief in 2017. And I think we all expected, or at least I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I expected 2018 to kind of be like, okay, like I have mourned and I have processed my grief and I have taken action and I will continue to take action and continue to resist complacency. But like 2018, I expected to return to a more even keeled, like emotional state. And it just didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) It just didn't happen. And partly, you know, that was political and partly that was professional. And a big part of it for me in that year was personal. Um, but yeah, those expectations were not met. So 2018 was not, (laughs) not, uh, a return to any kind of normalcy emotionally or mentally. Um, and, and really was the year of burnout, I think for a lot of people. And I think, yeah, I think that has something to do with that. I think, a lot of people had a lot of grief and a lot of outrage for a lot of 2017. And, you know, I think, I don't know what we thought, but 2018 wasn't it. (laughs) I think we all, at least I expected, I was like, okay, you know, if I'm burned out and I didn't really even recognize burnout in myself, it really, even until the article that she had written, I was like, oh my God, that's what I was wrestling with because I was struggling creatively as well. And a lot of it was spent me beating myself up about struggling creatively because I was like, well, I am a full-time writer now. Why can't I do this? And it, beca- it was because I was burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the other thing is like healing from burnout takes far longer than I anticipated. And I think that everybody anticipated because... You know, we had the lead up to 20, 2016, I think, was such an anxious year for so many people. There was a lot of things happening politically. It was a year also, weirdly, that we lost a lot of dear celebrities. Yes. Um, and for me, and this is a very personal thing for me, but it was the year we lost David Bowie. And that was like a really big deal for me. Um, and then like one by one, it was like all sorts of celebrities and very beloved figures were just like dropping like flies for some reason. Um, but there was like a, I feel like there was a palpable sense of anxiety in 2016 and that was kind of a lead up to the election and everything else. Um, and then 2017 was full of grief and rage. And I think that in itself is energizing in its own way, but beyond that you is exhaustion I feel and then and personally this is for me when you look at the news and that was something that I had to learn towards the end of 2018 just to not look because it was contributing to the sense of burnout because it felt like every week every day every hour there was something new and you know the human brain just doesn't have that capacity to process it or carry the same amount of rage or grief or whatever. Um, so I was like, I cannot look at the news anymore. I mean, I still do. And I actually schedule it into my day. Like, and it, and I also don't allow myself to look at it until I'm done. Because Mm -hmm. if I look at it before I start work, it will simply color. Oh yeah. So, you know, but I think that was definitely it. Like 
2018, we're all so tired and so burned out, and we all thought we could skip that process. Yeah. We all thought that we could move, move on straight, but we can't. Um, and that was like kind of the biggest lesson I had to learn. I mean, the part of the reason Kelly and I stopped podcasting for the second half of 2018 was just, we could not, it was not sustainable for any of us. And no, I couldn't do it, you know, and it's hard because this podcast is something we love so much. Like it, it is work and it does take work to make it and prepare for it and edit it. And all of that stuff is work, but it's also genuinely enjoyable. Like I get to sit here with my friend and talk and it's great. And, you know, I love that time that we get and I love interacting with our listeners and the feedback that the podcast has helped so many people. Like it's really, truly a, it's a labor, but it is one of love. And, you know, I think that letting the podcast go was, I think one of the, one of the signs to me that I was like, oh, wow, it really is like, just to everything is just too much because I can't even find room in my life for the things that I genuinely want to do and enjoy doing. Yeah. The, the inability to find room in your life for things that you like was definitely something that, you know, was a huge sign. Um, but I think hopefully at least for a lot of us that we have turned the corner mm-hmm. and, and at least I'm a little bit more optimistic. And for me, this is going to segue into our next section. It's because I think I've broken my reading rut. <gasps> I'm so excited to hear all about it. I still kind of, I kind of got my mojo back, but I'm not quite where you are. So, well, you know, the first thing I noticed, so Kelly and I were discussing this earlier, but in a previous years before 2018, I could read easily a hundred books a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was working in publishing, it was the same thing. Even if I had to read a lot of manuscripts for work, I could still read a lot of books outside of work. Um, and for me, and Kelly's probably similar to me, that you know, we always, we have like a mood or a craving when we want to read a book. And what stuck struck me in 2018 was that I was not in the mood for anything. Absolutely nothing. And so I look back on the books that I read in 2018, I read 18. Yeah. Mind you, on average, I can read 100 books a year easily. 18 books. That number is abysmal. And it was, and it's the same thing. I couldn't find joy in reading and it wasn't because the books were bad. And I Mm -hmm. knew it wasn't because the books were bad. It was simply, I was too burned out to enjoy it. Yeah. So part of that was me. I just stopped reading for a while and I only read books by people whose work I knew was guaranteed to at least easily bring me joy. I guess that, you know, something that I don't have to work, that it will be spoon fed to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so that was part of the reason there was so few. Um, and it was, but I stopped reading for a while and I pretty much only played video games. But even then I stopped playing video games for a while as well because it was not the same thing. I was no longer getting that sense of enjoyment out of it. Um, so I just kind of stopped in general. And luckily for me, I had the privilege of being able to sort of travel and unplug. And part of the travel was in fact for work. Like a mm-hmm. lot of it was in fact for work. Um, but kind of travel because I couldn't be at home and it sort of let me reset myself that way. But New Year's Day 
Lee Bardugo does this every year where she has a hashtag, which is begin as you mean to go on. So uh-huh. B-A, I'm not going to remember what the acronym is, but, um, you know, she said spend 15 minutes on something you want to be doing every year. And for me, I was like, I'm going to read this year. And so New Year's Day, I read a book. I read a whole book. And it was hard at first. But in the past couple of weeks, partially because I've been shutting myself off from the internet and allowing myself to relax, I've started to feel that mood shift again where I'm starting to crave a book. Like, you know, I want a book that will put me in this mood. I've started Mm -hmm. to feel that again. So I've read eight books since the new year. And I was like, oh, thank God. I think think I've broken out of this reading rut. I think I'm out. Um, But it it did take a while. So anyway, what have you been reading? I, too, have not... um read a ton. I mean, I'm guessing I'm trying to think of everything I read since last March, which I think was like our last official podcast. Um, I don't know my number. I haven't gone and looked. I have a couple of books that stand out in my mind. I had a lot of do not finishes, which again, I think probably says more about my mental state than the books themselves. Um, but I had a lot of do not finishes. Um, I did read, uh, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, mm-hmm. which was notable for a couple of reasons. One, it was the uh, first literary fiction, adult fiction book I'd read in quite a long time. I'd read so much children and so much YA books um, for work and marketing, and it's genuinely what I tend to gravitate toward anyway. Um, but I do and have in the past really enjoyed literary fiction or other uh, books geared toward an adult audience, but it had just been so long. And um, I heard such wonderful things about that book and uh, it was my birthday, which is in July. (laughs) So this was, this was in July that I read it and I had my husband had given me a massage for my birthday, booked a massage for me at a, at a spa. And I had the massage and then I was walking back to our house and there's a bookstore on the way conveniently. And I stopped in and I grabbed that book and walked home. And then I just spent the afternoon reading it all in one sitting. And it felt like such an indulgent thing to do to not have to be anywhere or go anywhere or do anything. And that I could just kind of lay in bed and read a book from start to finish. Um, which is again, something I had always frequently done much of my whole life and I read quickly. So it was easy for me to read books in one sitting, but I hadn't done it in so long. Um, and so I read that book cover to cover and it was really just a, the experience of reading it. I will just remember for such a long time because it felt so good to read a book in that Mm -hmm. way. Um, what else did he read? I will, I will be honest. The last mini sode I think we did when we like announced that we were coming back or we, we did some kind of a miniature announcement, um, in the last month or two. And we talked about Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Oh yeah. And I totally that night borrowed it from the library and reread that because I hadn't read it since it came out. And that was very enjoyable, still ridiculous, yep. but I, I had a blast reading it. <laughs> um, I read a lot of things. The books that I did read 
were honestly really books that were so outside of anything that I worked on. I read Michael Pollan's book on LSD, How to Change Your Mind, um, his books about LSD and other psychedelics. I really like him. I do, uh, too. I, I do, and too. I, I really loved that book. It was really fascinating, just the history of the drugs and the way they were used. And, um, you know, he does eventually <laughs> kind of his whole thing with books is he it does a lot of firsthand mm-hmm. uh, experience with all his cooking books. You know, he's out there cooking and all that other stuff. And uh, so he does um, take three different tri- types of psychedelic drugs. He does... Um, he smokes the toad. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he does, um, a type of psychedelic mushroom whose exact name I can't remember at the moment. And I think he does LSD. I can't remember if it's LSD or a different one, but he has three trips and he writes about them. And it is as bizarre as you would think to try to have Michael Pollan explain his trips to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I read that, um, yeah, those are the ones that are sticking out at the moment. I think the favorite, my favorite book of 2018 was Tess of the Road by mm. uh, Rachel Hartman. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Hartman had written um, Serafina and Shadow Scale, both of which I also really, really enjoyed. Um, but for some reason, mostly I remember Tess of the Road because it was one of the few YA books I was able to finish that wasn't necessarily written by my friends or like people whose work that I know consistently deliver that easy hit of entertainment. Um, and so it was, it, it was quieter. It was less big, but it was also so it was a, it's actually a really beautiful story about grief and recovering Mm -hmm. from grief and literally having to go on a journey, a long journey to discover yourself, but also a way to recover from grief. A little bit prescient now that I think about it. Uh, (laughs) But I really, I loved, and and Rachel Hartman always does incredibly interesting things with her Mm -hmm. science fiction and fantasy. Um, In this particular book, she actually sort of, she doesn't play with necessarily, but dragons and other creatures in this fantasy mold in this world um, are just simply different from humans. They have a- they're just alien from us. And in this particular book, um, she- the main character spends time with what are called Quiggittle. They are cousins of the dragons, but they don't fly. They you know they're kind of reptilian, and Quiggittle um, can change gender. Um, so there were some yeah. interesting things about gender, about assumptions about gender, and it was very, but it's so seamlessly well done, um, and it is part of the story, and it's not lecturing at you, and I think Rachel Hartman is incredibly gifted as a writer, and I'm always, you know, it takes her like three years to write each book, but that's fine, um, she can take as long as she wants. So that was really, for me, I think the standout book of 2018, and you know, I read a lot of the other books. You know, I read The Cruel Prince. That was early last year, um, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, but all the books I've read, I read eight in the month of January alone. Um, so what have I read this month? So, oh, I read uh, Kingdom of the Blazing Phoenix oh, by yeah. Julie Dow. Yes, which I, which I enjoyed. Um, I actually got it a long time ago, and I started it, and I because of my men, like I just couldn't finish it. And it wasn't because the book isn't good because I know I love Julie and I love Julie's writing. And I just 
but like was not in the mental state to really read anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of arcs last year that I did not finish and it wasn't because I did not enjoy them. It was simply just, I could not. Yeah. Um, so I read Kingdom of the Blazing Phoenix. I read, uh, <laughs> I read The Wicked King, which is the sequel to <gasps> The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Um, and I loved The Cruel Prince. Like it was one of, it was another one of my favorite books from last year. And, um, this book is, I, I read it on the flight back from Los Angeles to North Carolina where I live and I felt kind of bad because I'm reading it on my iPad and I've got this like gleeful grin on my face <laughs> like the whole time like <laughs> and I was sitting next to this college kid and anytime he looked over at me he's just like what is this weird lady like just like cackling over a book um oh my god there's one line and I like literally like meep on the plane because it uh it's a it's very much hate to love if you can call it love type of story. Um, but Cardin says to Jude, kiss me until I am sick of it. And I was like, help, <laughs> help me. <laughs> ah! uh, it was so good. Um, I read it in one go and it was great. Um, I also read, it's actually a romance novel, a fantasy romance novel called master of crows by Grace Draven. That was recommended to me actually by Amanda who uh, works for Smart Bitches. Um, And I really enjoyed it. She recommended it to me because she said, I think you would like this. And I was like, okay. And she was right. (laughs) So I enjoyed it. Um, I read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. (gasps) Yes. I read that years ago, but I've watched the Netflix special. Same. Um, Which has, you know, there are a lot of things I feel like you can take away from Marie Kondo's book. And it isn't just about tidying up. No. Specifically when she talks about things sparking joy in your life. That really does resonate for many things, and it isn't just the stuff you own. I think there are other parts of your life you can con Marie out of your life. Uh, <laughs> so I read that. Uh, I read The Gilded Wolves by Roshni Chakshi, uh, which I actually read in draft form last year. Um, but it just came out, and it has hit the New York Times bestseller list. Yay, Rosh! So, um, and then immediately after that, I read the sequel because she sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> no fair. It's great. Sorry, y'all. Um, it's going to be a while, but it's great. So that was that was awesome. I also read Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. Uh, Diane Setterfield wrote one of my favorite books, which is The 13th Tale. Um, it's a kind of straightforward gothic literary novel um and this one is just a regular literary novel but i read it in one go i mm-hmm. was just in colorado this past weekend skiing with mark and on the plane i i literally did the thing where i saw it in the airport bookstore and i was like oh my god diane setterfield has a new book took one look at the back description and i was like buying it um and read the whole thing on the plane awesome and that felt really great. And this is not something like Kelly. I I do enjoy and read literary fiction, but I don't. It's not always something I gravitate toward. Um, but it felt like a nice reset. Yeah, because this was a book that I think previously, especially in twenty eighteen, I don't think I could have finished because it was. It's not 
fast-paced. Um, it, it doesn't have any easy answers. It has multiple points of view. Um, but I really loved it. It has this like kind of eerie, folkloric, fairy tale type of feeling to it. Um, so I really enjoyed uh, Once Upon a River. And then last night I finished a book called Verity by Colleen Hoover. Now, Colleen Hoover is mostly known for romance novels, but I have not read her romance novels. But Rosh actually told me to read it because she was like, it scared the life out of me. I was like, hmm, all right. So this is actually something I think that Colleen Hoover itself published because it's not really in line with a lot of her other romance novels. It's a straight up kind of, I would say it's a domestic thriller. Um, and I started it last night, which was a mistake because I couldn't go to bed. <laughs> like, I couldn't sleep. But mm-hmm. I also, I did that thing where I read it in one go. And I was like, I think, I think I've defeated my reading rut. Hallelujah. Yes. 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 Oh, it helps. It helps. But I do. I feel now, again, I, the, the urge to seek out new books, new, mm-hmm. you know, to put me in a mood you know, specifically having re- having read Diane Setterfield and be like, oh my god, I can finish this, and moreover, I could finish this in one sitting and enjoy it, really made me feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're reading. Um, uh-huh. What are we working on? I, you know, have all my goals for my uh, agenting stuff. I am lining up a bunch of conferences this year. So I'm going to be traveling a little bit for those, which is exciting. And I'm working on putting together new um, panels and new classes and stuff to teach so that I don't just have to teach the same exact thing um, everywhere I go. Um, So that I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to get to some places that are local. Um, I have a conference in St. Paul in March and then Door County, Wisconsin later in the year. Um, but then also going to be doing some travel for some stuff that hasn't been announced just yet. So really looking forward to that. Um, that'll be pretty exciting. And then, yeah, working on, um, my more concrete agenting goals, I think, um, you know, I'm really excited about the possibilities for my existing clients and hoping to sign some new clients and, um, you know, have been working with a writer on a revise and resubmit that I'm pretty excited about. So I'm looking forward to see how that turns out. Yeah. Awesome. What about you? Um, I'm revising the first book in the Guardians of Dawn series. Um, I have not been home for more than a week at a time since September. Uh, And I'm just looking forward to sitting my butt (laughs) in my chair and really working on this. I, unfortunately, am just not somebody who can work while I travel. And Mm -hmm. part of the things that I did while I traveled, I I traveled last year, where did I go? I went all over the place last year. Um, (laughs) I went to Tibet and Sichuan, China, and Bangkok, Thailand, and I went back to Korea with my mother, um, and Sichuan and Bangkok and um, Tibet were actually researched for Guardians, um, so that was work as well, and I was taking notes and things like that, but I just can't work work. I can't, 
for that, I need to sit in my office and work, like treat it like a job. And so while the travel was very good for inspiration and things like that, it was not quite so great for like actual productivity. Um, Some people can actually work when they travel. I don't understand how they can do it. I also can't work when I'm social. Like, yeah, I, you know, there were a lot of author events and things like that, that I also attended and a lot of, um, conferences and things like that. I was at NCTE in Houston. I was at y'all fest. I did see Holly black when she was in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. So like a lot of this was a lot of socializing, um, which is enjoyable. But for me as an introvert, it's also very, very draining. Yes. So I can't work while I'm in the presence of other people, I really need to be a hermit and hold myself up. Um, so, but I am revising. I am staring at at least six weeks in my house. I literally don't plan to leave. Like I'm just going to sit here. I've got more travel coming up in March and April, but February, my God, just February. I'm just going to get this done. I can't wait. Uh, so then any off menu recommendations? I feel like there's, yeah, I, you know, it was a hard year and I watched a lot of television and a lot of it was really great. (laughs) Um, we're probably the last people on earth to watch the Americans, but, uh, it's okay. You're not, I, I you are, (laughs) it's really great. The Americans is really great. Um, it reminds me a lot of another show that I've ranted or not ranted, raved about on this podcast before, which is Halt and Catch Fire in that it's a drama that's about people and it's ostensibly about one thing, which is like Russian spies or whatever, but really it's about marriage Mm -hmm. and relationships and parenting. And it's just amazing. It was just fantastic. I loved every second of it. I'm sad that we're finished with it. Um, so that was really great. I have watched all of she-Ra with my <laughs> daughter, um, the new She-Ra, the reboot, which is just delightful. Like, it's just delightful. It has some pacing issues and there's some writing stuff for sure, but some of the character work is just so great. And I love Katra and I ship Katra and Adora and it's just like, I'm so emotionally invested in (laughs) She-Ra and I'm like, pass it. Like my daughter is like, why are you crying mom? (laughs) I'm just like, Katra, Katra is so amazing and she's been so abused and she's so fantastic and she's going like full dark evil villain and it's so intense and like ah! it's like Zuko in reverse um so yes Katra is my my Zuko on Shira. uh speaking of Zuko tangentially we have revived our Earth Kingdom radio podcast yes. so I'm also watching Legend of Korra uh, so I can't fully recommend that cause I've only seen two episodes, but I'm sure it will be great. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm trying to think of what other things I watched in this last year. Cause I know there were a lot of them and I know that, um, there were things that I really loved, uh, that I saw the Americans was probably the big one. The Good Place is always amazing. I know I've talked about that before. Um, I did watch the 
tidying up Marie Kondo Netflix show, which is so great. And here's something that I want to say about why it's great. Not only is she wonderful and not only is it concrete tips and tools that I think actually can make people's lives better and has certainly helped me, but the thing about it that I love about that show is that it's not um, like an interior redesign show. Like these are real people in real homes and it's not like it's not like a, an entire crew comes in and like redecorates their whole house for them. Mm -hmm. Like their house still looks like their house or their apartment or their whatever. And as somebody who lives in an apartment with blank walls, because I keep meaning to hang things and I just haven't done it. <laughs> I really do love that. The focus of the show is not about how your home looks aesthetically, but it's about how it feels and how it works and how it supports you as a person that you have mm -hmm. things organized in a way that enables you to live your life and spend time with the people that you love. And maybe that's really cheesy, but like, it's something I genuinely appreciated about the show that it was like, this isn't about having the most beautiful home or the most mm -hmm. stylish home or the most like, this is about taking the things that you have, deciding what brings meaning to your life and letting go of the rest and, and, and then not thinking about your stuff anymore. Like the whole purpose of tidying up with Marie Kondo is to not have to think about your stuff and like have a life instead of thinking about all your stuff. And I'm like, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a revelation. I've also been watching tidying up, um, <laughs> because I'm in the process of con Marieing my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just finished, the clothes part. Um, yep. and honest to God, it is incredibly freeing. It is, it just, i everything feels better. It feels clearer. Like a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. I, my drawers are organized so I can see what I have. Um, and I, the other thing is like, I fell into that trap that a lot of people do, I think, which is, oh, I could probably still get some use out of this, or, oh, I paid money for this, I could probably use it. But when the whole the whole concept of spark joy, which I think in Japanese she calls tokimeki, um, is not necessarily, does it make you happy? But it it's a different feeling. It's not like, oh, this, it makes me happy. And I think people right. misunderstand that, it's particularly when it came to books. I've <gasps> seen a lot of discourse on the internet about I know Marie Kondo and I was like y'all are misunderstanding what she means by this but it mm -hmm. you know does it resonate with you essentially you know mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff and what I also like and this is a particularly Shinto thing to do is that she thanks these articles for teaching you or bringing something to your life and then you let them go and mm -hmm. I like that because it is it is opposed to feeling like it's a waste it is yeah. reframing the way you think about your stuff as, okay, this one at one point brought something to me, but it no longer does, and therefore I can let it go. And yeah. that is incredibly freeing. <laughs> it is. And I'm actually, you know, you bring up the book thing, and I saw all of that discourse as well. Um, and I am actually really excited to Conmarie my books. Um, anybody, <laughs> anybody who's followed my Instagram stories has seen my like wall of books multiple times and it's stacked like 
there's like the regular books standing up on the bookshelves and then there's books laying horizontally stacked on top of each other. So there's like three rows of books per shelf and they're like all falling off and stacked and I can never find anything. But a lot of this stuff I've hung on to because I like what it's, it implies about me or it used to be something like I have like all of these books from college. Like I took a world religion class and I've got all these world religion books and the class was fascinating and I enjoyed it. I'm never going to read those books again. Right. There's just no reason for me to have them. I was like, I've kept all these books and I graduated college in 2014. It's been a long time and many moves that I have loved these books around. And I'm like, why do I still have these? Um, you know, and then there are books that I didn't read or will never read, but have because they were a gift or it was an obligation or, you yeah. know, something. Books that I read that I didn't like. Books that um, I read and did like and then something horrible came out about the author and what a terrible person he is. And now I don't want that on my shelf. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. There's lots of, um, books that I don't need to have. You know, I was going through, we were reading aloud with my daughter now and we're reading like actual chapter books. And I was going through and I had saved all these books from my childhood and was going through them all to find one that was suitable to read aloud with her and the pile of books from my childhood that were classics that I refused to read to my daughter because they're horrifically racist <laughs> or like super like, you know, like I picked up like there was like the cricket in Times Square and I picked it up. I was like, Oh, I remember loving this book. And I started flipping through it and I was like, this is unbelievably racist. Oh my God. And I was like, I can't read this to her. So that's going in the no pile, you know, and just getting rid of all these things that I'm like, I don't need to have these in my house. I'm really excited to go through my books. I really am. Oh, I love too. books. I love books as objects. I have a lot of sentimental memories attached to physical books. Um, and I think that's probably a, a big part of the reason why I haven't ever you know, called my book collection before, but kind of with this new approach and kind of looking at it as a, like, I don't need to keep this just for the sake of keeping it. I don't need to keep it because I think it makes me look a certain way that I want to look or whatever else, just because I read it one time doesn't mean I have to have it forever. Like I'm so excited to call my books to con Marie them. I can't wait. So I'm sure I've horrified and alienated half of our listeners, but that's how I feel. No, I, I'm the same way. I mean, I've actually had to call my book collection several times because I have moved multiple times. Yeah. Um, my beloved childhood books, really there's like maybe three or four that I actually still routinely read over and over again. Mm -hmm. That's anything by Lloyd Alexander. I reread the Chronicles of Prudane all the time. Tamara Pierce, I read mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, Madeline Langle, I also read a lot. Um, and, and Philip Pullman as well. And those are kind of the books, and Anne of Green Gables. Um, so these are kind of the books that were really formative to me when I was a little girl. And so the, those are the books that I intend to keep. Everything else... I'm probably never going to read Little House on the Prairie again. Uh, I mean, I did really love those books, but they're also horrifically racist, and it's very yeah. uncomfortable to read now. Yeah. I mean, there's an entire scene where Pa is in blackface in a literal minstrel show, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I, I, 
Um, so I don't think I'll be keeping those. Um, but it's more than that, kind of the same. I, there are a lot of books that were gifted to me or that I got at events or that were just given to me because I worked in the industry. So I just have all these books that mm-hmm. I've read some of them, but I didn't, if I didn't love it, then why am I keeping it? Because right. I'm probably never going to read it again. And if I really do want to read it again, I can borrow it from a library or I can just buy another copy. I think yeah. ultimately that's the other thing that shifted my way of thinking, which is, you know, what if I need this at some point? There's pretty much nothing on this planet that you can't really replace. Yeah. Object wise. There are obviously objects with sentimental value. Um, mm-hmm. that cannot be replaced because of the sentimental value, but the actual object itself, clothing, like I, you know, if I get rid of this, then whatever, I'll just buy another one or I'll buy something else that fits me better or whatever. And I think this is the same thing with books. If I don't have it on my shelf, but I feel like reading it again, I can always go to the library and mm-hmm. borrow a book as opposed to just letting this sit on my shelf. And I'm going to donate these books anyway. So someone else who, who may want to read this and for them, it may mean more is going to get far more benefit out of that book than it just sort of gathering dust on my shelf. So I'm, I'm also, I've also loved tidying up, which I have put on as I am tidying up, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also watched, oh, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, I don't know. You and I have talked about it, but I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. Oh, I loved, I loved the show. It's on Netflix. It's like a 10 episode series. It's an, a loose adaptation of the novel by Shirley Jackson. The novel I love, which is, again, kind of a real straightforward gothic house novel, Um sort of kind of along the lines of like Sarah Waters, the little stranger. Um, so this is a genre that I love and I was kind of excited and the show is actually nothing at all like the book, but it is so good. And it's really about, and this is, it's exactly the kind of quote horror that I love. Well, it is, it is scary, but it's not like a lot of jump scares. It's the horror is really, it's really the, the ghosts are essentially the trauma the family has. That's really Mm -hmm. what the ghosts are. They're actual ghosts, but also metaphorical ghosts. And I love this. And it's really about family and trauma and mental illness, but also love and healing. It is, I was so taken aback by it. I like bawled in like every episode, by the way. So I highly, highly recommend the the haunting of Hill house. Um, Oh, and the dragon prince, which I was late to the party. Yeah, you were, but it's good. I enjoyed it a lot. And the thing I, there are flaws in the Dragon Prince. Um, you know, pacing issues and some weird expository info dumps. It's not perfect by any means, but. And the antagonist, we have no idea why he's doing what he's doing. We don't understand the antagonist's motivation, like, at all. I, like, Which is a kind of a big problem, but the show is charming enough that you overcome exactly. it. And I'm hopeful because the new season starts up again pretty soon. I'm really hopeful that we'll get some explanation. I literally could not figure out. I was like, is it, okay. Does he want power? Because I'm not even sure if he wants power. And if he wants power, then why does he want power? Is it just to feel? To have it? Good. 
Is it because, or is it like a moral stance, which I don't think it is. I don't, like, I was just so confused. I was like, I don't understand this. Um, but the characters are really great. Um, and it gave me a lot of Dragon Age feels, believe it or not. Um, and it, it, it really did make me feel the same way Dragon Age had made me feel. And for that reason, plus a lot of the same writing team that did Avatar The Last Airbender is on this show. So a lot of that's still there. Uh, I'm really excited for the next season and hopefully we'll make more sense of the villain because right now I'm just like, literally, it's like the biggest weakness of the show. I was like, I don't understand what, why the villain does anything, actually. <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> why is this happening? Yeah. Um, and it's not even like Ozai. Ozai is like Voldemort, right? Ozai right. is just... Right, I'm evil because I'm evil. I'm and evil, that's fine. And that's fine, but that's actually not how this villain is characterized. <gasps> right, because the villain is like best friends with the king, but then like helps murder the king, but like is like sad about it, but like not really sad about it. Like, I just like, it's, what are you doing? What is happening? And also like he seems to have a good relationship with his kids. Um, Yeah, like he seems like... It, it just doesn't make it any just, sense. I, it does not come together in any in any other way. So I'm a little lost. But um, oh, and I before the break before the new year, I had started playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is we're playing Assassin's Creed Two, but a different one. Yeah, uh, which one are you playing? Origins? No, we're playing the Revolutionary War one. Oh, okay, Black Flag. Yeah, I think I don't. No, it's it. Assassin's Creed 3. It's Assassin's Creed yeah. 3. Um, I have, this is my first Assassin's Creed game, and I only picked it because you can play as a lady assassin. Oh, I just read some controversy about the downloadable co- content for that one, I think. Oh, I haven't played any of the DLCs. Um, also mm. because this game is going to take about 500 hours yeah. to play. I didn't realize how big it is. One, I know. Isn't that one more choice-based? So, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I literally only picked it because you can play as a lady assassin. And this was the first one of the Assassin's Creed games where you could romance characters. Mm-hmm. Um, because the next game from Bioware is Anthem, and I don't even know what that is. And for me, Mass Effect Andromeda was kind of a real disappointment. I didn't even finish Mass Effect Andromeda, so... Um, and there's nothing necessarily bad about Mass Effect Andromeda, I just didn't love it. Um, but I was excited about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It is not a Bioware game in that the romance doesn't really matter. It's incidental to the game. Yeah. Um, it's not kind of integral to the game the way it is in Bioware games. Um, but I find it strangely meditative. Like it's some, there's something really nice about just going around and assassinating people. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why that is. (laughs) Why could that be? Um, so it's not quite a lot of character-based choice. There are mm-hmm. cho- points in the game that I think probably affect the endings you can get. Um, but I'm not really that far, even though I'm like level 50. I probably have only maybe played through a quarter of the world. It's huge. This game is right. huge. Um, so it's not quite like Bioware and there's like a big narrative holding it together, but... Uh, it is very meditative, I have to say, to go around sneaking around murdering people. I mean, <laughs> I, I, t- I take such pleasure in 
completing a perfect assassination where no one has found me, no one has caught me, I have completed all the objectives and killed everyone. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, I think, for recommendations. We are yeah. running a little bit long, so do you want to do questions this week or shall we save them until the next time? It's up to you. What are you going to do? Um, I, I think we can save the questions for a question episode. Um, you know, just kind of, a, maybe we can do that next time as sort of a catch up for questions. Um, but this was our first one for the new year and mm-hmm. hopefully we will be regular about it. We, Kelly and I are actually really excited to come yeah. back and discuss multiple things. So that's all. That is all for this week. Next week, we're going to be answering your questions. So we've already got some lined up, but please do send us more. Any of your burning questions about the publishing industry, we are going to answer next week. And as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also visit us on Patreon at Publishing Crawl and join our lovely patrons in supporting the upkeep of this podcast. We absolutely wouldn't be able to do this without you. And as of this recording, we are very, very close to our goal for hiring an editor for us. So if you guys just want to pop over there um, and, you know, maybe contribute. Obviously, this is a labor of love and we'll still do this, but uh, this would really, really help us out. So you can also follow us on Twitter at PubCrawlBlog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook and Instagram. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram or on my website, penandparsley.com. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter and Instagram or my website, sjjones.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Contagion, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com, send us an ask through Tumblr, or use the hashtag AskPubCrawl. Patrons also have access to a suggestion box where they can volunteer topics they would like us to discuss in future episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. It is so awesome to be back. Bye! It is! Bye! As always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast, Provide. (laughs) I can do it. I can do it.